Hi everyone, you're listening to Latinas with Masters podcast. Like and subscribe and comment down below. Thank you for listening. On this season three opener of the Latinas with Masters podcast, I had an opportunity to interview Prisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez, Nicaragüense author of For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts. What I love about Prisca and what we all love about Prisca is that she's unapologetic and uncompromising about protecting and upholding the stories of Latinx communities. And we were very fortunate, we, meaning the entire Latinas with Masters community, to have her as the first guest on season three of the Latinas with Masters podcast. A chingona feminist, theologian, storyteller, and advocate in her own right, she is also one of us, a fellow Latina with a master's degree, who earned her Master's of Divinity from Vanderbilt University's Divinity School. I share the same culture and identity as Prisca being first-generation Nicaragüense and had an opportunity to talk a little bit deeper about her book for brown girls. That, at this point, I know it was for me, every brown girl's Bible and guide who have experienced imposter syndrome, sense of belonging, or simply being called, quote-unquote, a difficult daughter. She is all vibes in this episode, and she did not hold back, and it is not afraid to say it how it is. Um, and shared big pockets of wisdom for us Latinx who are navigating graduate school, her views on the lack of Latinx representation in the media as well as social media, which you know I'm super big about. But most of all, she was hella chill and down to earth, sharing some personal favorites and what we can expect and look forward to next from Nuestra Amiga and Latina Rebel Prisca. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed interviewing Briska and also bringing this episode to life because it was absolutely on my bucket list. Um, I pinch myself every day that I actually had an opportunity to interview Briska, you know, and um, I just want to say thank you so much for your continued love and support. I honestly cannot say this enough. I will be a broken record until the day I die, literally for all of the support that I continue to have with Latinas with Masters within our community, but then also within the Latinas with Masters podcast. Um, so I really hope you enjoy the show. And without further ado, um, enjoy the show. Bye. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's your girl, Christina Rodriguez, creator and founder of Latinas with Masters and the Latinas with Masters podcast. Today, I am hella excited to welcome my fellow Nicoya and Tokaya, because we share the same last name, Prisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez, feminist, advocate, storyteller, theologian, and author of For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts, a love letter to women of color. Latinas with Masters is a movement and a community where we elevate Latinx and brown energy while we continue to embrace and preserve our Latinx culture, stories, and identities. This has been on my bucket list for quite some time, and I'm super excited to have the opportunity to interview Prisca on the Latinas with Masters podcast. So I'm going to stop talking and officially welcome Prisca to the Latinas with Masters podcast. ¿Qué pasó, chavala? Yeah. <laughs> 
gracias por invitarme. Thank you, thank you. Um, so, okay, so first off, where have you been on my life? Um, <laughs> I know I briefly said this offline, but your book is like my Bible. It's like the story that was never told and now it's being told, you know, um, with shared experiences, right? And um, let me tell you that when I read this book, I took notes, I highlighted, I cried, I laughed. I gifted this book to my sister for her birthday. And then we started connecting <clears throat> we kind of like a little bit further because then we'll be like, oh, what chapter are you on? Oh, I'm not there yet. No me diga, perate, I'm not there, right? <laughs> because I can read a book and stop and read another book. And my sister's like, I need to start, you know, from beginning to end, nobody got nada, like I'm not done, right? Um, but we had a lot of shared experiences growing up in a Nicaragüense household. So I want to start off by asking you, what was your thought process in the dedication page, which reads for difficult daughters? Because I personally felt that dedication page was speaking to me. Like I honestly felt this to the core of my bones because I have been told by mi mama and mi mama Gloria, rest in peace, which, uh, um, basically what they would say is like, you're being a difficult daughter, right? Like, um, and all I was doing was showing up as myself. So can you just tell us about the thought process of like, what made you choose that dedication page? Cause you could have dedicated it really to anybody. Right. So, um, why you dedicated to me slash all of us, um, <laughs> to all the difficult daughters. It was actually, you're going to laugh. It was actually initially dedicated. It was para los, las bochincheras was yeah. what I wanted it to be <laughs> but my editor was like hey, that really narrows down your audience <laughs> yeah like, Who says <laughs> but like I just have been about the bochinche life like my whole life and um my mom would call me la tocadita al mal that was a word she used because mm -hmm. I was difficult <laughs> and I just when you grow up with this certain uh, you're not the right kind of girl. <laughs> you're not the good kind of girl. You It like marks you. It changes you. It's the reason why I have those sharp edges. It's the reason I'm ready to fight, that I'm ready to do anything else, really. Uh, and I knew that only somebody who grew up like that would understand the stories, which mm -hmm. is why the intro is even like, no book is meant for everyone. If you think mm -hmm. that they are, they're lying. <laughs> like mm -hmm. they just aren't. And so the more specific that I made it, the more I knew that I was going to find my readers. So I was like, it was a bochinchera at heart, but the difficult daughters, because mm -hmm. that's who I was. And I haven't stopped being that girl. Yeah. Well, you definitely found me. I found you. You found my sister. I think I recommended it to my cousin. You found all of us, girl. My entire family has been found. I love it. <laughs> I've been found, right? Um, this one, this question is actually user generated. I actually posted um, a post on the Latinas with Masters membership. And one of the users actually wanted to know and ask you from Crystal Reyes. So thank you, Crystal. She asked, was there a specific writing process when writing for brown girls? Um, it's really, it's really personal. Mm -hmm. uh, the book, if you, especially, I don't know who, if y'all do the audiobook, you can tell that it's, it's really hard for me to, I, I write about things that I've maybe haven't said out loud, things that I haven't wanted to admit to myself. Like um, having been somebody that, 
was dated for a dare. Like I never said that out loud. So having to write those things and say those things, it really is, it's almost like re-traumatizing you when you have to admit that they actually happened. Mm -hmm. And so it was really hard and it was really dark, but I, I don't know if I would call it luck, but lock lockdown happened. Uh, and that March and that's when I started writing Mm. so I got to just sit in my darkness and write and I got to spiral I got to cry (laughs) I got to I got to do all that and nobody had to face the consequences of what it meant for me to go into those dark places because it is it's dark and it's sad and it shouldn't have happened but some of us have like one of us has to dare to say it out loud for more of us to be like yeah that shit did happen and that was like that so I was like if I have to be the person to do that then I'm okay with that because I don't want people to live like that I don't want other little girls to have to go through those experiences so if I can make the things that we all know to be true if I could just name it then that'll help someone because at the end of the day those things shouldn't have happened and so anything I can do to help minimize harm then I'm doing something good you know and I love that because even right now as I'm getting my doctorate degree I definitely and I say this a lot it's my healing journey you know like I have to relive a lot of the things that I've never told not even my spouse you know um not even my parents half the time you know and so um <clears throat> that's why when I read this book I did feel it personal I did uh, purchase the audiobook and listen to it. Cause I can hear it in the way that you were saying, I'm like, Oh, this, this is the soft Nicoya side of her. Oh, this is the part where she's, you know, dark. This is the part where she's trying, you know, like I can totally tell was just like the accent and just when you say things. Right. And so I definitely felt the audiobook is definitely necessary too, because, you know, it does give you a different, an, um, an additional perspective, right. Um, you know, one reading it with your, with your own voice, but then actually hearing it from the author as well. Um, definitely gives you that additional connection I feel like right Um, there was a section in the book when you talked about being called India and in Nicaragua for those who may or may not know there is um, a you know a very strong um, historic indigenous and African Caribbean heritage right throughout the country and even within us, oh, both both para say India, oh, both the blue field, India, right? And I know it's just like sometimes it's like words of endearment, and sometimes it's not <laughs> in our own little cultural terms, right? But yeah. I personally remember being called negrita and morenita, and I personally, I, I didn't love the the skin I was in, right? Um, I honestly remember applying my mom's foundation who's lighter complexion than me because I wanted to have fair skin like her. Cause I look more like my dad. My dad's a little darker complexion. My mom is lighter. And people would even say like, Oh, ella tu mama. And I'm like, yeah, that's my mom. And they'll be like your birth mom. Yes. She gave birth to me. Like what, why what's going on? I look like my dad. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but, um, another thing that I want to bring up is that, <clears throat> um, you also bring up about watching the Spanish TV shows where there wasn't anybody that really looked like us. Right. Who were the star of the show at least <clears throat> so like you I grew up watching Shusha every morning I had my Shusha gel <laughs> jelly <Shoes. right? laughs> um I watched Sofia Vergara with Fuera de Serie um I actually watched it with my dad um Lucero and Los Parientes Pobres Talia and Marimar and Maria del Barrio and then definitely the music and the movies from Gloria Trevi I mean 
there was like a phase where they would call me Gloria Trevi and my mom's name is Gloria by the way and I would refuse to like brush my hair like all of my I think from like the age of like almost 10 honestly like I barely even brush my hair so I'd be like oh mira mira como la Gloria Trevi mira con su pelo and all that stuff right I had like a million nicknames of my nappy ass hair um but um as we all know like we all love them and we looked up to them <clears throat> But unfortunately, the media has portrayed them as the standard of beauty, right, within our Latinx culture. So with that being said, not much has changed, which uh, one of the reasons why I created Latinas with Masters. And I use brown a lot in my branding theme because I wanted to embrace all shades of brown, right, within our Latinx culture. And there are social media accounts who, under who understand the assignment of centering women of color uh, representation such as Doctora Hood, which is Doctora Lorena, who embraces brown mujer magia, hashtag I am enough, and yo soy Afro Latina, right? And definitely let's not forget Latina Rebels by Miss Prisca herself, right? Um, and even with our, having our own platforms, we sometimes don't even get the recognition that we deserve. So to be quite honest, Amigas from Latinas with Masters have reached out to me on how disappointed they are um, in seeing other Latinx platforms being highlighted and not having um, the platforms that do represent them, right, based on culture, identity, um, you know, all, all, the, all these things that represent us um, that elevate Black and Brown Latinx excellence in academia are not featured. So I promise you, I'm getting to the question. The question is, <laughs> I know that was a lot. I wanted to give a little bit of a background. That's context. Yeah. What advice do you have for us as Latinx and women of color who may not see themselves represented in the media or in academia or within their organization where culture of belonging is absent in these sometimes uninviting spaces? They don't want us. That's very clear. They don't want us. To, they, they want a Latinidad that looks like Anya Taylor, the girl from that ch chess. Oh, <laughs> chess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm -hmm. the Latina they want. They don't want us. They haven't wanted us. They've never wanted us. And they keep showing us that time and time and time and time again. And it shows in the invitations. Mm -hmm. It shows in the who gets featured. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it since I, I started Latina Rebels a decade ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have been seeing it since the beginning. And what I would say is the more the, the more we divest the more we're like fuck them <laughs> the better we will be <laughs> like we gotta we gotta I talk a lot about like I'm not trying to build toward them they're not the goal <laughs> my goal is the people around me the people who are doing the work that I think we need to be doing and building together and so I have got a foothold right now in publishing like they let me through the door I don't know how Mm -hmm. I'm in through the door and I I am doing everything I can to keep that door ajar mm -hmm. and I I'm not I don't want the validation of those publications anymore I did for a really long time I thought that it meant um it meant like I made it it meant I was legit and then I went to the events and I was like oh this is the goal please I like we were talking earlier no okay ask go yeah yeah so like we we will it, it's gonna be harder mm -hmm. when has it ever been easy for us like this mm -hmm. is why systems of oppression exist mm -hmm. i think it's readjusting who we want to be around when we do make it 
And when you do that, then you start discovering, okay, I'm a, I'm a build up this artist. I like this Brown artist who's making more art that looks like me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to invest my time in the different kind of communities and we're just going to build together and we're going to get somewhere and they're going to keep underestimating. I'm in publishing and my agent told me uh, before I got my first uh, check for royalties, like, cause you make royalties when you write a book. Mm-hmm. He said, never expect more than 60 bucks. Like people don't make money from royalties. My first check was $5,000. He's my agent. He's supposed to believe in me. Exactly. <laughs> but he was, he can't, they can't see it. They can't comprehend that we can do something and it could be great. Mm-hmm. We're constantly going to surprise them. So why bother with their congratulations? You're going to keep doing you. You're going to keep kicking ass. I had a big thing when I started writing, I had a rule. Don't write for white publications mm-hmm. and don't seek to write for the white Latino publications. So mm-hmm. I went out of my way and wrote with black indie publications with grassroots, like hip Latina, be visible Latina. Mm-hmm. I was just like, fine, $25 for a piece that I'm going to write. I don't care. Let's, I'll write it for $25. Exactly. I never went to like, let me go write for the New York Times. Let me go write for the cut. Like they didn't want my work anyways. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. I built a readership at where I found my readers, I went and found my readers. Now I my book has sold 50, 56,000 copies and everyone's surprised oh, because I never did the big, nobody knew who I was when I got to this place. Mm-hmm. But it was like, no, y'all white people didn't know who I was. Yeah. And that's on you. That wasn't a me thing. So y'all are just behind. And you just have to realize that they're they're clueless. Ultimately they're clueless about what we need, what our communities need. So why do we want to even be acknowledged by them? I think the minute that white people start affirming you or white Latinx start affirming you, you should be like, oh, let me take a let me reanalyze what I'm doing wrong because I shouldn't be affirmed by these people. Mm. And I think that's a good rule of thumb. That is a hella good ass rule of thumb. I'm about to apply that shit right now. Like even just you talking about, it, I'm like, that makes sense because I'm not gonna lie, you know, like I I, you know, I build Latinas with masters. I have this vision that I'm manifesting. Like I want to do publishing, I want to do acting, I want to do storytelling. Like, why not? And <clears throat> I say this a lot when people ask me, like, what is Latinas with Masters? And I'm and what I always say is I say three things. It's it's a community beyond academia, right? Because we talk more than academia stuff, but it's also like anything you want it to be and anything you need it to be. Like, I am not in a box. Like, I'm not going to have you tell me what I need to talk about or what I need to do or what's comfortable for you, right? Like, I had to learn that, honestly, from Black women because there wasn't a lot of Latinas who looked like me that were able to tell me, other than my tias, right, to really tell me, like, look, you're going to go through some bullshit. You're going to go through this, mira, que no sé qué, Right. But like really black women, because we share, you know, the um, the systems of oppression, you know, me being brown, me being mistaken as 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 a black woman, you know, and then I hear them and I'm like, hey, that happened to me. But how is it that happening to me? And I'm not black. That's crazy. Right. That fact that we have shared experiences like that. So um, I love that message because. Again, I get a lot of people that reached out to me that want to create a page. They want to create this awareness. They want to do this. But then it's almost like, but then who do I write it for? Or why am I not getting validation here? Or why are they not seeing it? And I think that message is so beautiful. It's like, you know, have it with the intent of, 
and then enter whatever that intended, right? That that audience, right? Because um, that's exactly why I did it for Latinos with Masters. It's definitely open to everyone, of course. It's a very inclusive space, but I'm sharing my experience as a brown Latina, as a brown Nicaraguense, as a first generation. And that's why I give the platform for other Latinas and other Latinx. Yeah, let's share your experience. I can't speak for you, right? But there's going to be someone on this platform that's going to connect with you and have this shared experience. So it's better to come from your voice, right? Um, and I think that's great. I think that's a great message to have. Yeah, and it's it frees up so much energy we spend worrying about not getting the kudos from the people that we think we should get them from. Because mm -hmm. it did, like, hell yeah, I hurt my feelings that my own agent was, like, not believing <laughs> that yeah. my book could do well. But I was like, you know what? He's using me. He's making money off of me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that same attitude back. Like, mm -hmm. fine. 60 bucks, watch me. Mm-hmm. Hey, sixty dollars is a lot in Nicaragua, okay? It is. <laughs> I'm rich in Nicaragua. Sixty dollars. <laughs> like, can you imagine the audacity to yeah. tell someone that their book isn't gonna sell enough? I was like, oh, wow. I could buy an Urban Decay makeup palette for sixty bucks. Okay, that's a lot of money. <laughs> you gotta start yeah. like putting the value of money and stuff. That's so funny. Um, you know, I was actually. Um, so I did a little bit of like fangirl digging. I was like, okay, let me look at her website. Let me do this. Let me do that. I was watching a couple of the videos of, of the college campuses that you went out to, but, um, I actually came across, um, I was browsing your website and I love how you have like these short articles of like reflection. Um, and one of them that caught my attention was the article that you wrote called fighting sexism in la cocina. And yeah. girl, let me tell you that you're not alone. Okay. <laughs> my mom hella tried uh to have me cook and clean when I was younger but I honestly felt like knowing what I know now I I definitely feel like um those chores were conditional right so if I didn't do those things therefore um I couldn't go out or I don't deserve to ask for anything because no desmenuce la carne no despulgue los frijoles no leche sal right no limpie el baño <laughs> it's always something that I didn't do um, and then being the middle child, I always felt like I had to be the example for my little sister, Stacy. but then my older brother, Edgar was not giving those same standards, right. Of cooking and cleaning y él estaba vagando and, you know, doing his stuff. So how do you feel now about cooking in la cocina? And do you have any favorite like Nicoya dishes that you like to cook? I love cooking, but I, I, I saw, it turns out that I'm not good at cooking unless it's Nicaraguan food, which I'm like, you know what? A blessing. <laughs> uh, and my favorite, so I just learned to make nacatamales, like for real, for real. I've done it like two years ago for the first time by myself. Yeah. But this last uh, New Year's, I made like all of it by myself and I was really confident. And turns out I love making nacatamales. Like, like you just feel I don't know about you but I don't live near Nika's in Nashville Tennessee yeah <laughs> but it feels like it feels like I can feel my abuelita just like humming while she's like y te dice el tuyo sin carne, solo masa porque te encanta. like I'm like I'm making little package for little Prisca at seven who didn't like anything but masa mm -hmm. I'm making one for her I'm making one for my husband who likes a lot of carne in his but I like I, it, it's become healing and it's a way that I stay connected to who I am because you do lose so much when you're not near family you do lose so much when you're not around your people and yeah. so it's like 
it's the only way that I feel connected is cooking and and remembering what my grandma used to do. First of all, cooking the catamales is hella hard, girl. That's like a weak process. Your arches <laughs> of your feet. Oh, it is awful. Yeah. <laughs> It's so funny because my grandma um, definitely was the queen of nakatamales. She passed down the recipe to my tia Raceli, who now makes nakatamales. And, it, you know, it's like gold. It's a secret recipe. You don't even, I don't even know how to make it, honestly, right? But it's like an assembly line when I go over to my tia Elsa's house. And everybody's probably looking at me like, hey, when you that, right? But I'm more like, anybody want anything to drink? Like, if you're thirsty, <laughs> I go to the store. Like, I'll make that run. So I'm like, de caña, I got you. <laughs> like, here and there. Like, let's take a shot. Oh, you need more banana leaves? I'll go get that. Like, I'm, I'm a runner. <laughs> I love it. Runner. We need a runner. <laughs> I family knows I'm the runner. I'm not even going to lie when they listen to this. They're going to be like, she's lying. No, I'm the runner, right? Um. But it's funny because one of my best friends, she's Nicaragüense. Her name is Rosa Maria. And she's half Nicaragüense, half Mexican. And when she orders, she orders like 20, 30, 40. I think she's like legit feeding like a whole. You need to freeze them. That's the that's this trick. Yes. I made like 30 and I froze 35. No, I'm just kidding. But like I froze like 25 yeah. of them and I ate five of them. Yeah. And they're still frozen. You I have them for like years. 300. She makes 300 a batch, right? <gasps> my friend orders like 20 or 30 of them and we came up with this little insider joke where she was like girl I'm gonna need a nakatamale punch card we're like the 10th the 10th purchase so <laughs> which they make nakatamales I'm gonna text Rosa and then Rosa will be like 20 like a solid 20 if it's under 20 it's like oh my god something happened but it's at minimum 20 <laughs> But yeah, girl, and then within our family, we'd be fighting. Like, we'd be coming over, and my sister would be like, you have any nakatamales? I'm like, yeah, but one of them is mine, and one of them is for later. She's like, give me half. I'm like, dude, what's that? <laughs> I eat nakatamales. Like, oh, my God. I gained so much weight because of that. But rico. <laughs> it's so funny how I definitely want to say this. That is so true. When you make nakatamales, you make them, like, special made for people because yeah. some of them want the extra fat, which is, like, my sister. And then the other one wants extra like chancho, right? And then the, my cousin wants the rice at the bottom. And one day I was like, can't you just flip the nakatamale over? Because technically the rice is on top. <laughs> it was just like those things that like we each have our own way of eating nakatamales. But yeah, I that I mean, hey, kudos to your girl because I don't know how to do that. I only know how to make like bistec and cebollado. Oh, I know how to make um like albondigas kind of not the soup but like more when it's like arroz con ensalada and stuff like that um my favorite is salpicón and <sighs> I don't know how to make it honestly um but and it's not even I, hard I just I prefer other people to make it for me <laughs> it's because you're around your people yeah. that's why I like I my next dish is lengua lengua is my favorite mm -hmm. dish and I want to figure out how to make it and where to even freaking buy lengua in Nashville. So that's the next one. But you're Sopa around Mondonga people. Is so, Sopa Mondongo is like my favorite. It's my... Girl, I'm going to sit here and just talk about food for a while. <laughs> let me know about the lengua because that's... Yeah, I, I I remember my tia making lengua and I was just kind of like, wow. like It's my favorite. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. So... um. So let's see here. You got me all like, okay, let's talk about food. Okay. The other thing I want to ask you is 
As a first generation Nicaragüense, I struggled a lot with my identity at school because of the lack of representation, right, of Central Americans in literature and in academic scholarship. Can you share with us how important it was for you to share your narrative as a Nicaragüense, but also have it related to Latinas from diverse backgrounds? So here was my trick, or not my trick, but I grew up, I've like, you know, I read Sandra Cisneros in third grade. Because yeah. yeah. my Spanish teacher, that's the book that we read. Everybody re reads House on Mango Street in like third or fourth grade. That's like yeah. a thing. Um, And so I grew up, when I did read anything Latin American, it was Mexican. And I know, I feel like I know Mexican culture because I grew up on Mexican television, like Cantinflas, India Maria, like all the pop culture people were not Nicaragüense. <laughs> like never, like the Lucero, everything was Mexican. Like I knew Mexican culture and and I made, we all still made it work. We all were like, that's me too. <laughs> so when I was writing, I was like, what's so hard? If I can do the backflips to be like a Mexican, realities can also be mine and maybe not this because I don't understand this but like this for sure if I can do all that why can't people do that with my stories mm -hmm. like it, that that and so I moved with the with that authority <laughs> I was like if I could do that you could do that and and let's go that was that was the only way that it was gonna work and another thing that really helped me is that I grew up in a Nicaraguan neighborhood mm -hmm. we had a Ruben Dario middle school in Miami like, Miami yeah 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 we I, fritangas in every corner quesillos in every corner like I grew up I always say Miami is just Nicaragua with air conditioning <laughs> <laughs> so like I also never felt like I was lacking in Nicaraguan representation even though I was lacking on tv I had it everywhere I could I would hear Nikas talk everywhere all the time I dated Nikas it was just normal <laughs> so I was like my normal is gonna be your normal trust me <laughs> because like not only the Mexican thing but I read Babysitter's Club. I read like white girl shit all the time. And I was like, sure, I'm just like a girl from the suburbs who babysits for money. Just yeah. like her. It was not like her. Yeah. But I, I figured out ways to make things relate. And I was like, you all can do the same work too. And if you don't, then you're just racist. Yeah. <laughs> Point blank. <laughs> right? <laughs> like you don't want to. And that's not on me. That is true. You know, my cousins, they moved from San Francisco to Orlando. And then I have family that live like in um, Plantation and Miami and, you know, all the, the Coral Gables, all that stuff. Right. But I remember going to the Nicaragüense Strip and having the Rowan Darío Park. I think it's like across the street or down the street or yeah. something like that. I was like, wait, what? You got a Pequeña Nicaragua. Yeah, I know. Little <laughs> Manoa, right? It's like, what the heck? Like in San Francisco, there are a lot of Nicaragüenses and we do have Nicaragüense restaurants, but to have like a placita of like, I'm like, whoa, where am I? Like, am I in Nicaragua? It was like the same vibe, just ordering fritanga. No tenga miedo, get it? And I'm like, whoa, okay. Yeah, I'll take, yeah, I'll take everything. Like, I'm just so like, amazed, you know? Um, but you're right, you know, when you grow up in a community where there is culture of belonging, especially with your own people, right? It's not until you go into other spaces when you're the only one, right? Where you're just like, whoa, like this is a wake up call. And 
I definitely felt that because in San Francisco, um, like in the Bay Area, there is like Nicaraguans, Salvadorians, like a lot of Central Americans, definitely like Mexicans dominate it, but there's a lot more here. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to like a predominantly white neighborhood in Cupertino, which is near San Jose, right? Like where Apple is made, if you want to put a pinpoint to it. Um, I was the only Latina, you know, for a long time. And a lot of people were like, oh, you're Mexican, you're Mexicans, I speak Spanish. I had to like, really like, educate my friends like dude I'm not Mexican and I used to say it like negatively because it was always negative towards me right and I think by the time I went into high school when they met another Nicaragüense they were like oh do you know Christina she's from Nicaragua too oh dude and then so like all of a sudden I was being introduced to the other like five other Nicoyas in high <laughs> school and guess what? Those five Nicoyas were deep. We were deep, you know, and we, 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 were, flag. we were like our jersey from Nicaragua, you know, and people would know, like, if you say Nicaragua, they'd be like, oh, mira, Cristina, Oscar, uh, Nadia, Ninoska, Sergio, like they knew what's up, girl. Yeah. And, um, and then, it, and then now look at, look at me now, my husband is Mexican or half Mexican, right? My kids are now Nicaragüense and Mexican and, you know, American, right? Because they're born here. But it's just, it's it's beautiful to see both cultures flourish in a positive space, in a positive light, where now my daughter is 10 and she says, oh, I'm half Mexican and I'm half Nicaragüense. And I will share the story with you is that when I was little, I used to say that. I used to say, I'm Nicaragüense. And my mom used to be like, vos no so Nicaragüense, vos so Americana. And she used to say it like firmly. But I used to be like, what? That makes no sense. Like both you and my dad are Nicaragüense. But she, and I get now what she was saying what she was saying was, Boso Americana, you have your privilege to be born in this country. You speak the language. You have an education. Don't let anybody tell you that you're less of, right? Because my parents came here literally during the war, right? To escape the war in Nicaragua. And so then she was like, don't let anybody tell you that you can't because Boso Americana, you know? So if they tell you otherwise, because you're Latina, because you're Nicaraguense, because you speak Spanish, you can also tell them, well, I'm born here. And I speak English and I have an education, right? But now I get it. Like, you know, Nicoya moms, we don't be, they don't really be like giving us context. And stuff. They just tell yeah. us. <laughs> I had to learn that on my own. Like that yeah. makes sense. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to share that with you. Cause yeah, I really felt like this book was very like, um, again, like part of my dissertation is I want, because I see the lack of Central American um, Nicaragüense student-centered experiences in academia, like that is my goal. Like I want to share my story in academia so other Central American, you know, first, you know, second or thirds who that are navigating this space, when they look us up on ProQuest, they'll be like, oh, there is actual an article on Central America or Nicaragua, whatever it is, right? Um, so I also want to share with you or ask you like how important was for your book to be in Spanish? Cause I did see that you now have it in Spanish, which I thought was super cool. Uh, it was really important. It was, um, my parents don't speak English. I don't know about yours, but mine never learned English. It, they kind of don't have to in Miami because oh, yeah. Miami's really <laughs> Latinx. And so, uh, they never learned English. Um, I don't know if they'll read it, but the idea that this stuff can be become accessible to people like them was always the goal. The the point of the book is to distill academic language to in a in a way that's approachable because exactly. I don't come from parents. Like my parents, my mom didn't go to college. My exactly. dad graduated, but he graduated in Nicaragua. And I, I don't live in a house that there was books. 
and learning was emphasized. Like that just not, isn't the house that I lived in and that there's nothing wrong with that. But also like, this is a book that I know they can understand. I wrote it. So people like them, people like me, mommy can read and understand everything. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that she can pick it up, I'm like, okay, this, this was, this was a point. (laughs) Like the idea that her friends can pick it up. I'm like, let's go, let's plant some seeds, let's free our minds, like, <laughs> this is where I've been wanting to be, I never thought that it would happen, um, for your book to get translated, it means that they see a demand for it, and I didn't think any, I didn't think anybody would buy it when I first wrote it, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm in the still shock that I'm in the position where it's even translated. Yeah, no, accessibility definitely is a big one, right, like, how far is your reach, you know? And I definitely feel like my parents too, like they speak English. They've been here for about 30 years and stuff. Um, And I feel that they were also, I mean, they read books, but not to the extent how we, we did, you know, growing up more in that education space. And I just remember, um, I don't know if you know this Nicaraguense author called Jaconda, Jaconda Belli. Um, she talks about, um, there's this book called The Country Under My Skin. And she talks about you know, how um, during the war, how she was, um, you know, part of like the underground of helping, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but it's actually a pretty good book. I actually read it in my Central American literature class in San Francisco State, which was amazing. Well, anyways, I bought the book in Spanish for my parents. And the first thing my parents were like, I know, you know, because they had like this negative condensation of the war. And I'm like, just read the message. Like, I don't, I'm not saying like, you have to agree with the author or like what she did and how she did it. Like, just read it for context. Like here's another Nicaragüense history. And so then my parents are more like, I lived it. Do we yes? So why don't you read it in a book? <laughs> you know? And so then I'm like, okay, it's still sitting there in Spanish. I actually ended up re-gifting it to my tia, who's a little bit more open-minded. Oh, gracias, hija, sí, lo voy a leer. And she read it and she was like, yeah. It's true. Like a lot of the things that they read, you know, that she read in the book, she was able to like um, connect it with either someone that she knew or, you know, obviously she was there during the war. Right. And so, again, it's just a different just adding on your, you know, perspective parents. But, you know, my parents were kind of hard headed on that part. So, yeah, I get it. I'm trying to one of my next books is a cookbook because I know my parents are going to pick up my book and the hope is that they do, but I don't think they will. But if I write a cookbook and then insert that messaging around like protecting ancestral knowledge, passing down recipes, like the importance of memory, the importance of oral traditions. If I write a book like that, my mom will read that. (laughs) So if I have a precedence of a book that does well, then I can sell a cookbook. But I'm like, I will, I will do everything in print that I can just to reach my parents one day. I'm definitely buying that cookbook, girl. Cause like I said, I don't be cooking like that all the time. So I'm gonna be like, a ver, que hice prisca aquí? Where's that uh, lengua recipe that she talked about here? Yeah. <laughs> that is super dope. Yes. So I have some, uh, just some fun questions to ask. Cause I want to get to know prisca a little bit more. Um, what TV show are you binging right now? Is there any like shows that you're binging? That <sighs> binging Ooh, oh gosh you're putting me in the spot this is not there <laughs> because <not fair. laughs> like, i don't i like you know you binge them and then you finish and like yeah. i'm like what am i doing now uh you're gonna laugh 
no, this can be terrible. But I like PBS a lot. Like I'm not, I don't just say that. I like mean that because I grew up on PBS. What are you talking? About? I think it's like here in the <laughs> It's how I learned world. English. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like an avid supporter of PBS now. They have an app and <laughs> and like I contribute every month and like I watch all their shows because I just want to stream them. And they have this show called Miss Scarlet and the Duke. And it's uh it's from Masterpiece Theater, which is what Downton Abbey came from. And she's a woman detective in like the late 1800s. It's a white woman. But you just see her like fighting men who don't take her seriously. Men who are like, oh, a woman detective? Blah, ha, ha, you know? <laughs> like when they would be like, if men well, didn't want to be <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like when men didn't want them to be married, they would just throw their wives in the insane asylum. So yeah. she's fighting cases like that. And it's just cool and weird. And um, my husband says it's like Murder, She Wrote, but I never watched Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> but that's my television right now. I like light things. I don't like, I think I, because I write the kind of books that I write and I research the kind of topics that I research. When I watch TV, I just want to watch something silly, fun that I can laugh at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. No, I'm definitely going to watch it with my daughter. Listen, I watch Law and Order with my daughter. Oh, yeah. I watch Friends. So, I mean, we're kind of in between there of, of like, you know, that murder mystery, but like, you know, silliness. So, that's cool. Silly all the way. Yeah. What is your favorite Nicaragüense drink? Oh, I love who tamarindo. You mean alcoholic? Oh, girl. <laughs> I know, right? Um, <laughs> sure, let's add that. I mean, everybody doesn't even know that I love to drink. I should have, like, yeah, sure. An alcoholic and a non-alcoholic drink. <laughs> Well, I love Juguet Tamarindo. I love making it. I think Tamarindo is like the most delicious fruit in the world. Mm -hmm. I So this is something I created myself. It isn't a Nika drink per se, but I know how to make it. I was in I love Nancites. I think yeah. Nancites are like the most delicious fruit ever. If anyone asks me what my favorite fruit is, I would say Nancite. And everyone's always like, what the fuck is that? But I love a Nancite. And the mix for Nancite... <laughs> is a little bit of food coloring uh that's pink a milk sugar and then the nancites uh and so then i pour it in a cup instead of freezing it with vodka mm -hmm. and that I'm is to make a nancite vodka drink right now. <laughs> i think i'm so <laughs> innovative oh my god i never thought about making like alcoholic drinks with nicoya like drinks that's ridiculous like me out of all people never thought of that actually <laughs> or like i, I want to i've never had cacao you know have what? you yeah i yes. never had it. i never i always thought it was too weird growing up and then i've been in the u.s forever and nobody has cacao not my parents yeah. so that would be bomb with some alcohol I yeah think. girl that comes from the motherland <laughs> i know it's like it's like indigenous <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah no cacao oh my god the other day I had um tamarindo con chia oh my god I underestimated that well my tia put hella chia in it first of all I was bloated so much that I was like uncomfortable and my tia's like what's wrong I'm like I don't know my stomach hurts and they're like well te volaste tres vasos de I'm like well, I mean, it was like small but she was like oh I overdid it on the chia so that's part I'm like oh my god I I feel like like a chimbomba right now. Like, <laughs> have you ever had chicha? Yes, I love chicha. I've never had chicha. Oh my god. That's another one that I'm like, I miss. 
<laughs> what would you add alcohol to that? Would would you? Yeah, I think add vodka to that too, honestly. Or rum. Yeah, I've had chicha. Chicha, cebada, cacao, tamarindo con chia. Um, like all the Nicaraguense drinks. I I guess I yeah, girl, it's just all that That's girl purissimas what do you think there <laughs> you need, you need to, i need to like go to nicaragua with you that's another thing both of my grandmas are dead and so a lot of ancestral knowledge comes from the women in the family oh, absolutely and so them not being alive is like i haven't gone back to nicaragua since my grandma died because i'm like i don't know what to do anymore she was the guide she was the matriarch she was like the connection now what the grandmas are the connection because that's the only reason why people come around to the house. And the moment your grandma passes away, it's like everybody be like, we don't need, we don't need to see each other anymore because we're not forced to. Because I've never liked you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, like, tell me how I really feel. <laughs> that is yeah. true, actually. That is true. Um, do you prefer platano verde or maduros? Platano verde. I was made on tajadas. Mm. My mom only ate that. Tajadas? Pregnant with me. <laughs> I mean, if it comes with the plate, I'll eat it. But if I had like a preference, like if, if I could swap without being charged extra, because <laughs> I hate that. Oh, vale dos dólares, but like, are you doing a swapping like a platano verde from like a Maduro platano? Like, I don't think I should be charged extra for it. This was about to rot to death right now, and I should be able to get it. You know, <laughs> with a okay, it's this is a hard question. It's not fair too. With a dish, Maduros are better. By itself, tajadas and queso are a vibe. That is in true. the summer, with Santa Marindo or Coca-Cola lado in a bolsa, that's it. It's heaven. You're you're in Nicaragua in the 90s now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, with the little helado with the little Ziploc bag and you're just like <laughs> sucking it to the side. Oh, my God, yeah. girl. Yeah. Um, have you had... Okay, so there's this show on... Now I got to think about the show, but... There's two like chefs that go to Nicaragua, but I went, I think they went to like Leon or Granada and they were eating that cheese with the gusanos in it. I don't know if you ever like seen that. That is crazy, girl. I would never try that. But supposedly it was a delicacy. And I was like, to who? I have never. <laughs> is it white people? You know, they'd yeah. be traveling and be like, everyone eats this here. <laughs> yeah. I'm there like, uh, it's delicate to my health. Like if I eat that, that is not a delicacy. In Nicaragua, I don't know who's lying to you. Maybe it's uh, colonialism, but <laughs> it is not from the Nicaragua people. I have yet to find a family member that eats queso con gusanos. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, I know they've been eating Ever. like, where was a tortuga, but you got to be at the beach for that. But Exactly. That. I, I even know it was a tortuga, but I don't know who's <laughs> And I have people in Leon. My uncle lives there. My cousins live there. I've been there many times. I'm like, nobody has ever been like, oh, you need to taste the delicacies. <laughs> yeah. It's either, oh my God. It's there's it's Anthony Bourdain. And then there's a, the other guy, like the chubby guy with the bald head. I always forget his name. I'm definitely going to tag you on it now. And I'm going to be like, oh, I have <laughs> <laughs> a delicacy from Nicaragua. <laughs> just putting us out there. Yeah. We have so much good food. Okay. Yeah, I did on one of the episodes, they did go to like Bluefields and or one of the um, cities by Bluefields and they showed like how they made Bajo and it was it was cool. And then you heard them speaking Creole and stuff like that. Like I love seeing that side of the Nicaraguense culture because it's not something that we get to see a lot, right? My family's yeah. from Manawa. 
Um, and so then, you know, with the Capitol, people come to the Capitol, but to actual see it like on TV, I felt like that was the closest thing. Like, oh my God, oh my God. And so it's funny because sometimes my husband or my friends would be like, oh my God, oh my God, Nicaragua, Nicaragua. And I'm like, shut up. Like, I don't get to see a lot of it. So yes, I'm hyping myself up right now because <laughs> this is like a once a year thing that I get to see Nicaragua, you know? But anytime something is on TV with Nicaragua, my husband would be like, oh my God, Nicaragua, babe. Oh my God, Nicaragua. I'm like, yeah, bow down, represent Nicaragua. <laughs> <laughs> but for real though. <laughs> change the narrative on that. I changed the narrative. Um, so I want to ask you, what's been your favorite city you have visited and why? I love Chicago. Ooh, I love Chicago too. It is the best city that feels like a small town. And my best friends live there. So I've never actually seen, I know I went to the Bean once, but they don't take me to tourist shit because they're just like, shut up. We're not taking you there. <laughs> this traffic is where white people are. We're not interested. So I've been in Chicago in like the hood and where the brown people and black people are and the Guatemalan restaurants. And there's just, it feels so, every time we're out, my friends see a person that they went to high school with or a person that went to their church. Like it feels like a town, Yeah. but it's an enormous city. And I, if I hadn't moved back here when I got married again, I would have moved to Chicago. That was the plan. I love Chicago. One of my uh, good friends from San Francisco, they moved to Chicago and I went to go visit Chicago. <clears throat> I don't think it was last year. Well, maybe it was last, oh no, 2001. I mean, 2021. And I went for a conference and I was there for like four or five days. And a lot of these vendors, I went for a work trip and a lot of these vendors wanted to take me out to like a fancy restaurant. And I was like, dude, I just want to go to like a Mexican taco truck. So I heard there's Mexican food out here. Like, I just want a Chicago dog. Like, I just want a Chicago style pizza. Like, I don't want a steak that I can eat anywhere, you know? And so I wanted the culture, but the vendors I was with didn't know where the hood was. So I didn't go to the Mexican taco truck. <laughs> um, and actually a few uh, friends from Latinas with Masters live in Chicago, but my schedule didn't align with us to meet. But they were like, yeah, you know, I was totally down to hang out. And and I didn't get a chance to, but no, I love Chicago. It actually reminds me a little bit of San Francisco because um the vibe like the friendliness like the fog but we, we don't get like um snow or anything like that but it definitely yeah. have it definitely has like that um that like city vibe you know um yeah. and so I definitely I definitely like Chicago that's funny you say that because I talked about Chicago like for a good minute I almost felt like I wanted to move there just like, I loved it so much you know it's captivating. Um, if I yeah. if I ever get to live my dream life, I'm gonna own a condo in Chicago and a house in Nashville. Because I'm like, I have to live there one day. I have to. So what you have to say is, I will own a condo in Chicago and have my rental in Nashville. Sí, pero después, my primas hear this and they're like, "You're rich." Girl, when I go to Nicaragua, girl, I, I come back like naked almost. Like I just give away everything. Like, you know what? Yeah. Wow, ta bonito tus, wow, ta bonito tu zapato. Que tuani. Mira, si se los das, you have to. Ma, mira, <laughs> literally. But then I if they it. think you got too much, you're like, no, I, no. I was yeah. just, I was just trying to manifest. Yeah. <laughs> this is, that hasn't happened in real life yet. <laughs> No, like, I was there at your Chicago house. Wait, what are you talking about? Yeah. No, no te pase, no te pase. <laughs> so I want to ask you what or who actually, who motivates Prisca? Uh, it's a lot of different people. I think it's 
I think me mommy was like a badass lady and it's still she still is but I think she like really like I am her revolution I really I really really believe that I get to do things that she could only dream of or she could only imagine I think a lot about my little sister and mm -hmm. we're writing a book together right now and she's always wanted to write a book I wasn't the one that was supposed to write a book it was her mm -hmm. and so like I, I'm like, okay, so now the door is open for me. So I'm going to open it for you too. Mm -hmm. I write for little Prisca, who was like a little badass and like wanted bigger things and wanted to dream, but people kept telling her no. Mm -hmm. So I tell her yes all the time. <laughs> and, and just for other Latinas who needed a lot of gentle, loving care, it's like, I, I want to be everyone's big, like older sister who's going to speak up, even if it makes me uncomfortable, mm -hmm. who's going to like defend them. I just like, no, you can't treat people wrong. You can't treat my people wrong. You can't, you can't talk to us like that. But it's, it's a lot of things that kind of are like, no one's doing it. So someone has to. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely resonate with that because there was a situation where I was talking to one of my professors and um she definitely like I cried five times honestly she literally was like she literally asked me simple things oh how was Christina at five years old how was she at 10 how was she at 15 I mean she did it very like very smart oh yeah I did this I did that blah, blah, blah. I purchased divorce I got back together like totally cash right and then boom to the center of what the pain was and was like so who takes care of Christina when you're hurt all I heard was that you take care of your sister, you take care of your friends, they would go to you, you're the badass Latina, you're the one fighting, you're doing this, you do that, but who's taking care of, and I'm like, nobody's taking care of, like, oh my God, nobody, like, I always had to be, even though I'm the middle child, right, but I'm like the bigger sister, I'm the oldest cousin, I'm the oldest grandchild, right, it's just like all these, you know, big sister vibes, right, and so I'm very overprotective of my cousins, sometimes too much, where they're like, hey, we're, we didn't ask you to defend us. We didn't ask you to say that. But I'm like, no, but I saw the need to, you know, like I'm like, you know, speaking up. And and when I would navigate white spaces, I was told, oh, you're a little bit too much. Oh, you're being too loud. Oh, you're being too this. You're being too that. But when something needed to be defended on, when somebody needed to speak up, it's almost like they would poke the bear to Christina, right? Oh, Christina, did you hear that? Oh, did you hear so and so say about this? Oh, are you gonna let are you gonna let them do that? Yeah, you will. Yo, oh hell no, no. Call my earrings. Yeah, yeah, I'm about to take my earrings off, and you got a scrunchie. Like I would live up to the expectation of how they wanted me to show up, and I, girl, I showed up. Let me tell you, you know. But I, I totally resonate with all of that because, um. Uh, even now, like as I have Latinas with masters, I share a lot of my sister. My sister's more like, she's more quiet. She's more like, oh yeah, sure. Like she actually wanted to interview here with you. I was totally going to do it with her, but, um, she's a new mom right now and the baby's on a schedule and she had to work, you know? So, um, shout out to little Cristinita cause she named her daughter after me. Um, and my tia Cristina and, um, but yeah, I share the spotlight with my sister too. And I, you know, my sister's a licensed marriage family therapist. And anytime someone reaches out with me with advice for that, I don't know the answers, but I'm like, Hey, let me ask my sister. And then my sister's like, yeah, tell them to hit me up. Like she's totally open to that. She's just not like front and center. Like I am like, yes. 
screaming in your face talking about hey let's do this shit like she's in the back protesting with me but I'm front and center right um but you know I actually missed a question because I think this is super important because um part of the podcast or on the podcast I actually interview um Latinas and Latinos and Latinx and Chicanos anybody who wants to be on my podcast and share their academic journey um about graduate school and their masters and I've had diverse backgrounds diverse majors you know different schools non-traditional you know backgrounds of how they got into graduate school um so I wanted to ask you um I wanted to touch base with you real quick about your master's degree experience I know you do mention it in your book but can you share with us how you decided to pursue your master's degree and how you came upon choosing your major? So I do share some stuff in the book, but because the book isn't meant to be biographical, mm. it is, there's a lot of gaps. Mm-hmm. So I'll fill some of that in. I I knew I wanted to go to grad school, but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And I kind of gave up a little bit on that dream. Um, and because I really, what I wanted was to get out of my parents' house. And so I got married to get out of my parents' house. Mm-hmm. I was still an undergrad when I got married. I was a junior in undergrad when I got married. And then I had another year. And then when we both graduated, um, I was like, the pressure to have babies is a very real thing. <laughs> and so yeah. I tried. I I had three miscarriages mm-hmm. and nobody prepared me for what infertility would look like mm-hmm. at all. Uh, and what was happening was when it happened because of my church tradition, because my parents are really conservative and really, uh, not educated. They, they were like, what did you do wrong? Because that doesn't come from our family. So you must be sinning or something else is happening, but this isn't natural. And I sort of lost it a little bit. Uh, and I shaved my head. And I applied, I was like, I'm going to apply to school. I was good at undergrad, school makes sense. I don't care what the fuck I do. I just need to get back to school because I think it'll finally make sense again. Life will make sense again. Mm-hmm. My body's not doing the thing it was made, the thing it was quote unquote made to do. At least I can like read books because I'm good at that. Uh, and so I took the GRE, I did terribly. And so then I Googled places that don't require the GRE and Vanderbilt was in that list. And because I watched Gossip Girl, I knew Vanderbilt was fancy. So I applied to one school. <laughs> and that was the school. I didn't know what a divinity degree was. I didn't know what it meant to study theology. Um, but I Googled, I was like, church, God, sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I went. I got a full ride. And, and I packed up my bags and I left. And with a husband and everything. Uh and it, it is really untraditional. I don't know what I would have done. It was a, it was, it was a blessing because in that program, I learned to find names for everything that I had experienced, including the sexism in my church, mm-hmm. the toxic theologies around women and our bodies, mm-hmm. um, the whole, like having hanged another angel. It's like, no, fuck you. Like, this is terrible. This shouldn't have happened. Like this little refrain that you're throwing at me isn't doing anything for my grief. It's just hurting me more. But I didn't have language for that. And suddenly I had all this language and it changed my life to ironically studying theology made me not want to be Christian anymore. (laughs) Um, But it it gave me so much power to Mm -hmm. know things, which is like why I write the books that I write. Because if people could feel any sense of power, 
by knowing things that they didn't know and having names to experiences that they're already living, then that's one less lost girl just trying to piece her life together with all the shit that's happening to them. So really. shake your head, go to graduate school. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> she had a Britney moment and was like, fuck it. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to be a Latina rebel for real. And I'm going to shave my head and go to graduate school. I but call it my Britney moment. One picture for me for sure. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but as a chavalas who are currently in graduate school or considering graduate school, can you provide words of encouragement para seguir adelante? Because you don't know how many times I get, I'm the only Latina in the class. I feel like dropping out. I'm a mother. I have kids. I'm single. I'm not married yet. The pressure of having kids. Like there's a million stories of, you know, again, the expectations of where we need to be at what age. Should we be married? Should we have kids? Why are we still single? Um, and like, even me, when I went to graduate school, I had my daughter, but I also was pregnant with my son in the middle of my program. And I actually had prepartum depression because everybody was like, you know, like, what are you going to do with school? Are you going to work and go to school? Like, ¿Qué te va a cuidar el niño? ¿Y la niña? ¿Y qué pasa? And I'm like, damn, everybody has all these questions and nobody's like offering help. Everybody's more concerned about like, how am I going to do this? Or why am I even doing that? degree? Like nobody understood me. And I'm there like, why y'all tripping? Me and my husband are cool. Like we got us under control. And I didn't have words of encouragement. I had to like pump myself up. I actually dropped out for a semester. And it wasn't until my sister got admitted to the same graduate uh, school. And she lived in San Jose at the time. And I lived in San Francisco where she was like, just go back, Chris. Like, we'll get to see each other on campus. Like, you know, like we'll just be there together. Like I know we're in a different program and we ended up, um, I, I ended up re-enrolling and I ended up going, um, graduating on this. We and my sister ended up graduating together on the same day. And when my sister told me, um, you know, the semester before, you know, you're about to graduate. She's like, Chris, I'm about to graduate next semester. And I'm like, Oh hell no. My little sister cannot graduate before me. And I started first. So I took like 16 or 18 units. I did independent study. I did extra credit. I was like, I cannot have my little sister. Like that was my own internal, like, you know, motivation. Um, but my sister like saved my academic career because, you know, um, you know, she is, I know that she's been through a lot as well in her journey. Right. And it was in like just marriage, family therapy, like just even that major itself, right. It's a lot to unpack, even with your own story and the way you grew up right so with that being said what encouragement do you have you know for for the latinas who are listening right now and are you know going through something or feel like you know they're not where you know they're expected to be um first of all fuck all those timelines like it's never it, they they've never they were never meant to include people who come from working class contexts. Mm-hmm. Colleges weren't meant for even women. Mm-hmm. It was meant for rich white guys. <laughs> so all of these expectations weren't for us, and for us to try to mold and fit into that is is a disservice to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'm also a big advocate of if this is the last degree you're sure you're getting. So if your master's, you're like, I'm done after a master's. And if you're getting a PhD, you're you're done after a PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, 
don't worry about grades. Mm-hmm. It is their construction of who's worthy and who's not. I graduated as a C student with my master's. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck cares about that? Who asked yeah. me that? No one. No one asked me that. They just know I have a master's. The same master's as somebody who killed themselves to get an A on. Mm-hmm. So d- pace yourself. Give yourself a lot of grace. And and know that these spaces weren't meant for you to do well in. These spaces are meant actually to drain you and take everything from you. So reverse it. Be there to learn. Don't don't not by their scale, not by their scales. So don't worry about grades. Do you. And you're gonna be okay if you allow yourself to do you, however you need to do it. But I my big thing is use them. Because they're using your picture for admissions anyway. So mm-hmm. use them. God, I feel like I can make like 20 shirts with what you just said right now with everything, <laughs> all of the fuck grades, do you? Like, you know? <laughs> and it's funny because people ask me for advice. And I said, I went to school, like even right now with my doctor too. I didn't take the GRE. I didn't take the GMAT. I don't believe in it. Hey, but if you want to go to a specific school that offers it, and that's your dream school, I'm not telling you not to go. I'm just saying that there's schools out there that don't require that. And yet here I am with the same degree, right? So I actually wanted to go back to that when you said it. But the other thing too is when my professor told me, the first thing that came out of her mouth was like, I don't give a shit about grades. I was like, am I in the right class? Like, oh my God, what? <laughs> and she was like, I don't care about grades, honestly. And, and guess what I was doing? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so late. She's like, stop saying you're sorry. I don't care about grades. Just turn it in. And then, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I said I was going to do it. And she was like, just turn it in. Just turn. Everybody got an A regardless of how, and it, you know how hard it was to unlearn that? I had to unlearn one, to say sorry, which I still do. But two, to really think about the concept of grades don't mean shit. Like that doesn't, grades don't define you, you know? And once she told me that, I kind of felt like, that vibe also at work like mm, this email is not urgent <laughs> you're stressing me out you know your tone I'm not feeling your tone you didn't acknowledge me you didn't say like hi Christina how are you you just went straight in and I'm not feeling the vibe I'm not going to answer to that email right now like it it really it really got to me girl where now I'm able to like you said name it like that's a microaggression I'm not fucking with you what the fuck like And so when girls reach out to me or people reach out to me and and they want advice, I'm like, look, you can even tell them I said this shit. I don't, I don't work for them. I don't go to school there, you know? And I'm like, yeah, tell them this and then see what they tell you. Because guess what? There's a lot of gatekeeping, even in graduate school, right? My school didn't teach me how to show up as a Nicaragüense in business, right? Has everything to do with who I am as an entrepreneur, as a businesswoman, as a Latina, right? But again, that's a whole nother topic, but I definitely love the message that you gave because it it's, it's definitely the Latinas with masters vibe, you know, of like, fuck it, who cares? Like, just do you. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have that degree and, you know, why stress off it? Right. Yeah. So before we end the segment, Priska, I want to ask you what's next for Priska. Can we expect a four brown girls to be a TV series anytime soon? And can I be in it? <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. I'm manifesting it. Like I, you know, if I don't open my mouth. I don't get fed. So I'm just going to throw that out there, but I definitely would love to hear like what's next for Prisca. 
I have my next book under contract. So I'm writing my second book. I have the next three books that I'm already developing. I, I am working. I have a, what? You're working. You're like, look, I got one, two, three books. They said to write five. And I was like, okay. Hey, so, as long as I get my advance and my royalties past 60, <laughs> past 60 right? That threshold has been passed. <laughs> And I actually have a producer and we are looking at scripts and trying to find a writer, a showrunner, and hopefully the it, it does become a show. The way we're pitching it right now is Dear White People, but with an emphasis on a lot of queer, black and brown cast in grad school. So like, what does it look like to be an adult in a university setting? Because dear white people is undergrads and they're still depending on their parents and it feels still very privileged in some ways. So strip all that, strip all the support, <laughs> mm -hmm. make it very gay, make it very diverse. And I think it'd be a fun show. Oh my God. I'm like trying not to fucking scream right <laughs> with what you just said. First of all, my undergrad didn't even live with my parents. So to me, that is privilege. <laughs> but Yes, 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 on everything you just said, because again, graduate school does not, we don't talk about it, right? It's not until you're in it, you're like, what the fuck? Oh shit, like this is a whole nother vibe, a whole nother thing, right? Um, and you're right, like that transition of adulthood gets missed in the media and stories, right? Even in literature, honestly, right? So Oh my God. I love that. I love that so much. Um, I definitely would love to audition. You have a whole gang of Latinas with masters that can fill in as extras. You can be <laughs> in the classroom. I could be the teacher. Like what you want, girl? Yeah. So I have a little 10 year old daughter. She can also be like little or the prima. Hey girl, I'm gonna throw my kids in there too. <laughs> but that is so amazing. You know, I definitely... I definitely see it as in like the Gordita Chronicles and Insecure, like Issa Rae. Like I look up to Issa Rae so much and just like the realness of it. And I don't know if you follow me like with my stories, but I like her vibes, everything. And I definitely feel like that's like your vibe. And I definitely see the vibe with that with four brown girls. But um, so I do want to thank you, Prisca, for your time and for being a guest on the Latinas with Masters podcast. You definitely popped this cherry and this bucket list. <laughs> Um, and you are definitely one of us and part of the Latinas with Masters girl, girl gang. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best and we look forward to seeing more Prisca and elevating Latinx energy. Um, I don't know if you want to say a, a final few words before we end the episode, but just wanted to oh thank my you. Gosh. Thank you for having me. This is the first interview I've done with a fellow Nicoya. So it, it's been more surreal than I thought it would be. I also, I get so busy that I don't get to process what's about to happen next in the day sometimes. Mm. So I wasn't prepared, but your vibe, like you just <laughs> like your energy. I was like, wow, what a great way to start my weekend. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for inviting me and for being persistent. I, it's It's been a wild ride lately. So I it's a privilege to be here and to get to chat with you. And I can't wait to stay in touch. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God. I'm going to like cherish this video forever, girl, forever, forever. Thank you everyone for listening to the Latinas with Masters podcast. Until next time, much love and peace out. Bye.
Latinas with Masters podcast is a culturally minded podcast created to inspire, empower, and educate nuestra comunidad and future generation leaders navigate the hard knocks of higher education. Hosted by me, Christina Rodriguez, founder and creator of Latinas with Masters, MBA graduate and future doctora pursuing my doctorate degree in educational leadership and on a mission to master diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the spaces we all live, work, and learn, all while embracing and preserving nuestra cultura. Like and subscribe and follow Latinas with Masters on all social platforms. Thank you for listening to Latinas with Masters podcast, and I hope you enjoy the show.